This episode of Clinic Gym Radio is brought to you by Clinic Gym Connect. Just go to clinicgymconnect.com to learn more. But Clinic Gym Connect is a wonderful, amazing communication system that you can use in your clinic to grow. All growth has to start around communication and Clinic Gym Connect makes that easy. With two-way text-based communication, the ability to send out review links, the ability to wow your patients, provide great customer service, follow up more efficiently, faster, and using the method of communication your patients are already using, which is text messaging. You can learn more again at clinicgymconnect.com. Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of musculoskeletal healthcare. And I think I found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the clinic gym hybrid model. And over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the U.S. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I am joined today by Dr. Mike Massey. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Now, Mike, where are you at? Uh, Italy, uh, uh, New, <laughs> New, uh, New England. Where's that accent from? It depends on the day. Now, I uh, born and raised in Southeast Tennessee. All right. Now, Tennessee is interesting because half the folks have an accent and the other don't, right? Yeah, and we can turn it on and off, which is kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Well, I think it makes for a richer interview. You know, it's like sure. I always wish I was British because British guys can uh, tell you the wrong information, but with that British accent, you just think it's right because they're it just sounds so smart. You know. <laughs> well, and me, I don't think I have an accent until somebody tells me I do, and then I, it makes me self conscious. So. Who knows? <laughs> there you go. Nice. Well, Mike, uh, you know, you're in clinical practice day to day, but you also uh, partnered up with a buddy of yours and you guys started something called Practice Mechanics. Yep, we sure and, did. Uh, yeah, I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about like what the goal of that is and how it started and who you're partnered up with so everybody can know. Because I think uh, for those, especially for the clinic side of the clinic gym hybrid setup, uh, it seems to me you guys are making the that side make the systems work smoother, you know, make sure things are compliant, make sure people have the confidence to nail that down, which definitely makes it easier when you're operating out of confidence, a whole lot easier to get people to continue on to fitness. But if you're sure. kind of wishy-washy about the clinic, then I'm, most customers will not think, Hey, I want to buy more of this wishy-washiness. So exactly. <laughs> exactly. I want this on, uh, ongoing wishy-washy <laughs> membership. So how did it yeah. all start for you guys? It all started, I had already had sort of a side entity, a side gig, uh, teaching coding and documentation, risk management, things like that. Uh, and I wanted to take it to another level and scale it up a little bit. Um, I had talked to Rob. I'd known Rob for a long time, Rob Pape. Um, and he was really working hard to develop what he calls quadrant analysis. It's his own kind of uh, streamlined analysis, clinical musculoskeletal cases and things like that. And uh, he just didn't have anywhere to park it you know, to, to promote it, to, to have a build up the framework of it so it could share it with people. He taught students, you know, from time to time, a little bit of it and, you know, one-on-one -on -one classes and things like that, but he just never had anything to take it nationally or internationally. And so it was just, he and I had met together. Uh, I went up to visit him when he was in New York City one weekend on St. Patrick's Day. And while I was there, uh, I said, well, why don't we just combine the two? 
You know, I mean, you're looking for somewhere to march this. I'm looking for some way to scale this. Why don't we just merge the two and make it into a, a bigger thing so we can cover both sides? Like, because there's practice management people and there's clinical people, but there's never anything that does them both together and does it well. And so that was kind of our goal is to do them both together and do them well. So, so you were like, hey, man, you're making that sweet grape jelly, but it's a little too sweet. And Rob came along and said, you're making that peanut butter, but it's a little too rich. Why don't we make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Right. Yeah, exactly. That's great. So you guys kind of, uh, you, you know, before I hit record, you got you were telling me you really come up with some processes, systems, kind of check boxes for the administrative side of operating clinic. And Rob has done a lot of things with the patient care side of the clinic. Is that right? Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, they got to be both working because there are plenty of people out there. You and I have both met that are are providing great patient care and going broke at every moment they can. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then unfortunately in our business, there's a lot of folks with wildly successful businesses that provide pretty crappy patient care. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And it's always hard. That's what we want to like, fix. Oh, yeah. We want to fix, we want to build confidence, you know, we want people to do yeah. it right. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dive down that path. So what strikes you about most, you know, so if we look at kind of, uh, you guys can work with, you know, established practice have been in practice for 10 or 15 years and you can work with that student right out of school. Right. But in your experience, if you go and talk to that group, let's say that they're either in school or they're up to their second year in practice. What, what really stands out or strikes you about that group of people? That they're scared to death. I mean, they actually okay. will, will come out and say it eventually if they'll admit it, but they're scared to death. They don't feel like they have the clinical skills. They don't feel like they have the admin down pat and they go out and they just kind of wander aimlessly trying to figure it all out. Now that's interesting. You say they're scared to death because at least it strikes me, maybe it's just the folks we're meeting at these seminars, but man, you hear these students that have better CVs than I do. I mean, the number of continuing (laughs) education classes that they're fully DNS certified a through, through L Uh, they've been to McKenzie one, two, three, and nine. Like I'm looking at them going, my God, you, you're, you gone to more seminars than I did in my first five or 10 years in practice. And you're just graduating. Well, and you I think see in this some too, ways, I mean, this high level of, of education. No, I was going to say, I think that's a, a testament to the fact that they're, they don't know, you know, they feel like they're grasping, they're reaching out, trying to get more and more information, more and more support so they can be more confident when they get out there and start dealing with patients. Cause they just don't believe that school did it for them. Okay. Well, uh, so they say they're scared and is it that they just don't have a unified maybe operating system? Is it that they, um, you know, are getting hit with the different diagnoses or different symptoms than what they've trained for? So if you're, yeah, as we talked about, like in school, you know, there's so many diagnoses that are just pounded into you. AS, ankylosing spondylitis. (laughs) I maybe have seen that twice in my career, you know, exactly. and yet I think there was an entire textbook (laughs) that I had to read about it. And then other things like femoral nerve entrapments for me, I, I would see at least once a month. And I'm like, nobody ever talked about these. It wasn't even a possibility. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think it's just that. I, I think, um, you know, they're, they're not, they don't feel like they lack knowledge. I feel like they realize they lack practical knowledge because I think school teaches everybody more to be safe, you know, to be a safe practitioner and not mm-hmm. represent us poorly if they can from a clinical and administrative side, I guess. Uh, but then we realize that it's not real world experience a lot of times. And it's not practical application a lot of times. It's just uh, 
the black and white words on the paper and the things they must teach us to put us out into the world to try and function safely. Yeah. So when you have somebody like that in that first two years of practice, or even as a student, join up with practice mechanics, you're trying to, what do I say? Uh, they've learned everything. Here's an analogy for you. They're standing on the beach and you're telling them every, they're being told everything about surfing. And you guys with your program want to hold them by the hand and start walking into the water. Yeah, exactly. Put them on the you're board. You're going to get jacked up, but that's okay. I'll tell you what it's <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, if we, so that's the early stage. Now, I know you also work with some older practitioners. So people that, in, you know, look at me, I've been in practice for almost 15 years. Um, and I know you work with, with those folks as well. What's the big issue you see them? So the young folks are scared to death, highly educated, but scared to death. I'm going to guess 15 years in practice, it's not going to be a confidence thing, right? But what is the big problem there? Sometimes, though. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, they come to us 15, 20 years in and say, I never did understand how to document or I never did really understand how to code. I just, you know, I had somebody good up front that helped me (laughs) wander through that aimlessly till I got it right. Um, But yeah, it is a different mindset a lot of times. Um, From a clinical side, I think what I've seen is people have been in practice for a while get a little bit routine about things mm-hmm. and they feel like they're not giving care. They're not analyzing people. They're seeing things that they can't, you know, repeatedly, they can't fix like they want to. And they need some sort of other guidance on how do I get a different, fresh look at people and maybe a different, fresh treatment approach that'll get me better results. You know, that makes me feel better about the person that walks in the door from the admin side. Um, they're set in their ways. You know, the, what they learned a while back, they haven't really chosen to change because it's not that big of a deal unless it starts mm-hmm. costing them money. And then when it starts costing them money, they realize they're, they're three versions out. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're still on yeah. the Apple, the iPhone 6 when we're down to 12 now. <laughs> so <laughs> right. that's how they're doing their admin. Yeah. I mean, I was joking with you, like, you know, f- folks, I say ID, ICD-9 codes. I always say that because it's what I learned and it just rolls off my tongue like mm-hmm. ICD-9. But, uh, you know, we went to ICD-10 and now is 11 fully implemented? Is it expected? What's What version? 11 is coming. You know, the United States always lags the rest of the world. Yeah. So 11 was supposed to hit next year and it may hit in Europe and other places, but we always kind of reinvent the wheel and we're just now figuring out 10. So we're sure not going to do 11 just yet. So I wouldn't look for right. it anytime soon. All right. Well, I'm I'm surprised they didn't just dump 11 on us in 2020 to just really put a chip yeah, really. on that. that <laughs> it's been year. the perfect time. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's it's crazy right now anyway. So just make it crazier. Well, uh, yeah. So just the fact like people had to update codes and, and coding and what's allowed and what's not, what's expected, what's not. So if you, if you don't mind, I'd love to kind of dive into the administrator side of what you guys do because that's kind of your specialty area, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. True. So... Let's talk common mistakes because I'm sure there's some folks, I guess the advantage of being young and right out of school is uh, you don't have any habits, which is great. So therefore you don't have bad habits. You, just, you don't have good habits, but you don't have bad habits. Whereas you can change pretty quickly, right? Like you can go to sure. a weekend seminar and completely revamp your billing and probably be more compliant. Whereas mm-hmm. one weekend seminar for somebody who's been in practice for 12 years is maybe not going to steer that cruise ship too much, right? Right, Exactly. So as you analyze folks and and see people joining, what's uh, let's talk about maybe three different things you see that are very common, and so people listening can maybe check off to make sure they're in compliance or doing things correctly, not just 
doing things that were done like the guy who trained them or the gal that trained them beforehand, right? Funny thing, uh, I was reading this book and it was talking about the width of railroad rails and that here we are like extending railroads and they're the same all over the world and blah, blah, blah. And that width goes back to the width of the wagon tracks in, uh, you know, in the West when they were setting up wagons. And then those wagon tracks go back to the wagon. Why were they that wide? The rails were made that wide. The wagons were made that wide. And the reason for that is because that was the width of the ships bringing things over from Europe. And why were the, the, like the ramp that came out of the ship had to be a certain width. Why was it that wide? Because that was the size that they would load carriages on. Why was it that wide? And it goes, traces all the way back. And if you look long enough, the reason that rails are a certain width is because the door on the carriage maker for the Queen of England, the door on a shop was a certain width. And so every carriage he built had to be able to fit through there. Wow. And just that habitual, well, it's this wide because he told me it's that wide and it's that wide because she told me that's wide and that, and she made them that wide. So I made them that wide and then he made them that wide and my brother made them that wide. And here we are basing the size of a freight train's wheels <laughs> off of something that was built 300 years ago in England, you know? Right. It's yeah. crazy, but we never look at those processes and say, why do we do it this way? Other than that's the way I was trained to do it. Mm. And that's really what it is. Um, and, you know, the admin side of this thing is admittedly not sexy. You know, people don't, they don't get certifications typically, and they don't celebrate that they know this new coding skill or this new documentation, yeah. you, you know, shortcut or whatever. You want to yeah. split a room? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's a curse. I mean, I, I've said that all along that I, yeah. I teach the most boring bunch of stuff that there is, you know, in this well, profession, I, but you, know, you got to know. I teach uh, the SFMA, and I would say that's more on the diagnostic side. And we always joke, like, how many diagnostic seminars are there? There's, there, for every diagnostic seminar, there's 20 different treatment seminars. And everybody wants to get certified in treatment. It's like, shouldn't that come after diagnosis? You know? Exactly. And, but it, that's just not how we've always trained. Mm -hmm. Because treatment's where the money is. I mean, even you look at the medical industry, like the drugs and the, the, cert, the surgical implants and all those different products are on the treatment end. And that who who's, has the money and therefore, they're teaching everybody how to treat that way, but no, they're not really teaching diagnosis either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about it. So, three common problems uh, on the admin side. Um, I guess we can start out with EHR because that's kind of the elephant in the room always. Everybody okay. loves EHR because that's made our lives supposedly easy and yeah. more accurate. One click notes, baby. <laughs> but because of that, it's made us very lazy. Uh, it's caused us to create some poorly compliant notes and lots of words that say nothing, you know, a lot of times and, and you miss details that are important, you know, both from a clinical, you know, payment side and also from a risk management side too. So at, I know you've done a little bit of legal work for those listening who think, oh, well, it's not a big deal. Nobody's ever asked for my notes. I don't even know why I keep them or they don't do them at all or whatever. And there might've been a point in my life where I might've had that attitude. I mean, I don't know what the statute of limitations is, but I think we've exceeded it. But <laughs> you can say uh, when it does get to that legal point, like walk us through what the legal aspect looks like. So somebody can understand why those documents are so important. Well, from the legal side um, and, and when they get your documents, they, they're going to get them all. They're going to get the patient's intake information, their demographics, however they filled out a form. If you've got the form, they're, they're going to try and get it. Uh, and then they're going to correlate that to, what your decision-making was and did you actually read the form when the patient filled it out or did you ignore all that and just go on your own direction? 
And a lot of times there's a contradiction between what the patient said or the patient related as far as maybe a, a red flag or something like that. And where the doctor never noted it and never made it any, you know, paid attention to it or whatever. And that comes out in court. Uh, and then and that they magnify that and they say, well, if you miss that, then what else did you miss? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, the whole, like I said, the whole idea of cloning the notes where you can actually copy one and carry it forward and just change whatever's different. You do that enough times, it looks like you didn't really do anything, you know, and oh, yeah. that gets brought out in court too. You cloned it. It wasn't a detail thing. It wasn't something you, you did that was meaningful and, ex- and contemporaneous in your practice. And so it was just a click of a button and you got the same thing the next time. Yeah. Which, you know, it's a, it's a, what do they call that? A tempting mistress, right? Like it, 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 it's like, Hey, I know you're busy. All you gotta do is just click that button and it'll just carry everything forward. And I've done, I've reviewed some records before. And at one time we saw 23 notes that were identical in order, you know, and, and I just think you present that to any jury or anybody that's evaluating you and you say, Oh yeah, I provide great care. Well, what does it look like on paper? And it looks like 23 versions of cut and paste. I mean, you couldn't turn that in in second grade, right? Like it wouldn't work. And here you're supposed to be a trained physician. You're plagiarizing yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. But you know, it just looks like the patient isn't progressing. You know, people make an argument, why would I pay for this? You said they had, you know, uh, a six out of 10 pain that was achy uh, achy and and dull. And 22 visits later, they had a six out of 10 pain that was achy and dull. And you did exactly the same treatment. You did exactly the same uh, test results. And why would we pay for that? It doesn't look like anything's changing. I mean, it if I told says, you, hey, Mike, I'm going to send a plumber to your house. He's good. He's going to show up 11 times. I'm going to attempt to unplug the toilet. And, you know, you're going to pay for that? He's going to do it the same way every time and get the same exactly. result every time. He's going to give you the same receipt at the end. Yeah. And says, hey, He's going to tell you it was fine. This. Yeah. <laughs> it's done. But that's what we do a lot of times, too. You know, to expand on the note you were talking about, the, the clone thing. You'll have the same pain scale. You have the same objective findings, supposedly the same orthopedic test, which you don't really do every visit most of the time. And, and then also say the patient's progressing pro- positively. You know, the patient's getting better every visit. Well, well, six visits later, their pain scale is the same. Their findings were exactly the same. How can you say yeah. they're better if you get nothing to acknowledge that? It's just right. crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, so, yeah. it's crazy. And that so comes it, up on a payment and a legal side. I mean, the, those are both critical. Right. And, and one of the, I think the um, perspectives that people might need to have too is once uh, once one of your cases gets cracked open, it's tough to not, how do I say this? The assumption of your habits in the legal industry is, is, carries some weight. So if you habitually do copy paste, then it's hard to say like that you operate a totally different way in some <laughs> other aspect. And they'll say, well, if you did that, like you're saying, and a major insurer comes through like Blue Cross or something and says, well, these notes were crappy with the first time we asked. Mm-hmm. Why don't we look at some other ones? Because, you know, uh, maybe we overpaid. And you'll see oftentimes people get these letters from insurance companies where like, hey, we think we overpaid you $24,000. Please write us a check within three weeks. Thank you very much. And it's like, slow yep. down. Insurance auditors are, are notoriously detailed, but also notoriously lazy. Um, <laughs> and, and, that, and that comes down to what you're saying. If they find blood in the water, if they get you a time or two and they know that you're really do it, you know, charging for more than you really did, they're going to keep coming back until they can't find anything else. They're going to fight your laziness with their laziness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they're never going to go for somebody else trail. when they've got a fertile garden right here, they can pick from, you know, Yeah, and they're just going to keep on picking until there's no fruit left. Right. Yeah. And, and 
once it, like you said, blood and water, once Blue Cross does that, and let's say, you know, United hears wind of it and they're like, well, we'll look too, because again, habitually that person did a certain aspect. So, you know, I hope that nobody listening ever has to go through that. It, it sucks. It's, there's just yes. nothing fun about that, but holy smokes, will it make your, your system a little bit better because hopefully you survive it and realize eh, we should do things better. So, uh, you know, that's the beauty and the, the downside of an EHR, right? right. But what are some ways people can use an EHR well? Like what are some things you should make sure you ensure that happen to make sure that when your notes get requested, you're not looking like uh, you got caught with your pants down? Well, I think they just make it easier to be thorough, you know, things that you might overlook or you might scribble, you know, illegibly or something like that in passing. Um, if you really use the HR like it's supposed to be used, you're going to get a clean note that says what you wanted it to say uh, in a way that you wanted it said. Now, I mean, even even then, you know, a lot of them sound like robots wrote them. You know, it doesn't sound like I would speak, you know, sometimes when right. I read the notes that are generated by my HR. Rich, I'm like, I don't uh, say that. Draw either. <laughs> but, you know, they get the information in there. You know, they're very straightforward and that's good. Um, but they also can reveal if you, if you self audit, if you're smart enough and, and thorough enough to self audit, you can find things too in an EHR. You wouldn't find by going through your own notes because you'd be, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't glare at you probably so much, yeah. which is a nice thing too. But yeah, that, yeah one they, advantage too. Now a lot of the systems allow you to input a picture or video, yeah. which for, you know, uh, I'm thinking like Hawkins Kennedy test for the shoulder is, notoriously um, inaccurate and it's, you know, saying that that's positive. Well, almost everybody I know will be positive. You just crank their shoulder enough, you know, but getting a film of, of where that's positive will take three seconds and it might show significant improvement. And then even if the records aren't laying that out clearly, like being able to show a auditor and saying, yeah, this is where we started and this is where we were five visits later, that carries a lot of weight. Yeah, I mean, still photos, too. I've seen those come in handy in PI cases or even malpractice defense where, you know, somebody had some very visible bruising or very visible surface injuries. And yeah. you just take a quick picture of it and log it into the file. And you get a date certain that, you know, it wasn't like they're making it up or it happened another time or whatever. Yeah. Those are really nice, clean things you can do with those, too. Because if you if those listening hear this, like attorneys love MRI results, love them. Yeah. And really all that is is just a still frame picture that has some technical language around it. I had a, a, a friend that um, got denied a bunch of care for a patient that, uh, thinking about this, that had what looked like complete disc issue. And then they got an MRI and it was like two millimeters at L3 or something. Some It was an atypical location, but like a three millimeter bulge. It wasn't anything bad. But to your point, they'd taken still pictures of that person completely antalgic and the the antalgia was aggressive. I mean, much you were expecting a, you know, 20 millimeter uh, herniation or something. And they didn't have that. And, uh, but that carried a lot of weight in getting that person's recovery. You know, they had them kind of up against a posture grid and they were shifted over like six inches and then 10 visits later, two inches. And then 10 visits later, they're basically back to, to stacked posture. But uh, yeah, just had he not taken those three pictures and how long does it take to take a picture? You know, mm -hmm. you don't have to publish it to Instagram or anything like this is just right. real simple <laughs> pick and certainly made the case for him why he provided so much treatment. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, those are good. I mean, they're good. So that's uh, that's regarding EHR. Uh, what about, you know, common one that, that you mentioned before was gaps in care. 
right? So you got some folks been in practice for a long time and I don't know about you, but like it, uh, how long have you been in practice? 600 years. years? Yeah, at least 600. It feels like 600 <laughs> sometimes today. Yeah. <laughs> how many years? I didn't hear that. 30. 30. Awesome, yeah. Mike. Well, is there, uh, do you still actively see people you saw that you started as new patients 15, 20 years ago? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And what's a common kind of mistake people make when they see those folks? Because, I mean, I'm guessing if somebody's been in your practice 20 years, Mike, you've seen them for a dozen different injuries, essentially? Potentially, yeah. Or the same thing repeatedly, 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 too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the mistake a lot of people make is complacency in that regard. You know, if you've seen somebody, you're familiar with them, you know them, you know their case, they skip some time, they're down, they're gone for a year, two, three, five, seven, and they call and make an appointment, come in, and lazily, a lot of people go, oh, I know that person. I know what they've got. You know, if it's the same condition, it's the same thing they've always had. And they just continue their treatment as if they'd never missed a, a beat. And that's when you miss things. That's when things become a liability um, because a lot of things can happen in that downtime. And, you know, there's got to be a, a date certain that you set that, you know, when somebody comes in after a gap, that they've got to be evaluated a little bit more thoroughly. And most people don't, or a lot of people don't anyway. We see a lot of that in the medical legal side is, is those, those gaps in care can come back to bite you if you don't take care of them. So you said you, what you got to set up is a date span that no matter what, they get a re-exam. Right. That's the solution. And what's a suggested range there? Six months? You know, yeah, I think six months is not a bad one. Uh, and it all really depends on the history. If it's a completely new condition when they come in in six months or three months, then you got to look at that a little differently too. If it's the same old song and dance and they evaluate the same and you carry forward. Well, here's a common one. Somebody comes into you for low back pain, right? And let's say you evaluate it, you're six visits in. And I've had this, especially with women. And they go, hey, this is great. By the way, I didn't mention it before, but I also get a headache every day or every other day. Mm -hmm. Now we're totally different region, right? So it's not saying hip pain and butt pain uh, or low back pain and, and, and tingling down the leg. So I say headache. Should you do a full workup on it? Should you document that? How do we do that? All the above. Um, headaches especially can be dangerous. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, you don't just jump from the low back to, oh, I've got a headache that you've never treated before and just reach up there and go, oh, well, it's, it's C1, bing, bang, and you, and you crack that thing. You know, well, you say not to do that, Mike, but I, I would guess that one or two people listening have actually done that. Sure they have. I mean, I not you, not yeah. me, not our favorite <laughs> listeners, but, you know. But it's pretty common because you know that person, and I think that, you know, one of the more difficult parts of our business is the fact that you are human. You, you have empathy for your patients. You care about them. And on the flip side is you feel comfortable. You feel comfortable that you understand their systems, even though you only evaluated the low back, right? right? Well, and the resistance to this comes from people imply that, oh, I'm making you stop and do a full-on workup on this person. No, right. you just got to do what's safe. You know, you got to rule out the red flags. You got to check some stuff, you know, just enough to make you comfortable and confident to move forward instead of just reaching up there and doing it because they were there and they wanted it, you know? Yeah. Okay. And if, if we take that six-month thing, somebody comes in for headaches and six, let's say seven months later, comes back for headaches again, how much of a workup do I need to do? Um, I mean, the same. I mean, well, obviously, you don't get the whole demographic thing and go through a full case history or anything like that. But you want to ask the right questions about has it changed and has it come and gone and how severe has it been? And, you know, the history is really critical. It's probably more than many times more critical than the exam. Mm -hmm. um, and then you check some things, you know, that would rule out things that you don't want to deal with uh, and just make sure those are gone. Yellows and reds. So just to put the, like some hard borders on this, if I spent 
10 full minutes asked about history their first time, I should attempt to spend another 10 the second time. And yeah, I mean, I, did, I think after, go ahead. If I did four different orthopedic or neurological tests the first time, I should plan to do four again. I mean, I'm just yeah. arbitrarily assigning numbers here, but. Yeah, I think you're on something. Um, it needs to look very similar um, because it could be different, you know, and that's yeah. how we miss things is by not paying attention. And so yeah. we have to check them anyway. You can't well, assume they're not there this time yeah. if they weren't there the first time. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, uh, uh, I know, you know, I know you're perfect, Mike, but yeah. I'm not. And I had recently had a, an experience with a friend who I've treated in the past, probably every couple of years for low back pain. We don't live in the same town, so we'd see each other at conferences and stuff. And uh, the last time I treated him, he just didn't get any relief, not anything long term, and he'd been treated by everybody and you know, he acted like a disc pain patient. Um, I thought he had some components of hip. We get an MRI of his hip, it's clean. Get an MRI of his back, it's essentially clean. He gets injections, they don't help. Uh, you know, he goes through everybody specializing in hips and backs. And turns out everybody, including myself, had missed the colon cancer that had started raging. Whoa. Yeah. And... Yeah. Uh, Luckily, his primary care at some point stopped and kind of peeled the onion away and said, all right, what has changed in the last three months? And, you know, it's all procedure, procedure. He's listing all these procedures, but she was smart enough to realize like, okay, you're just listing stuff that hasn't worked. So she goes, there's no way you had that much musculoskeletal care and it wasn't the right kind, you know, <laughs> there's probably an internal thing. And she said, you know, any, she asked some red flag questions. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, there is pain at night. Yeah, it doesn't go away. Uh, painkillers no longer touch it. And she's like, have you, uh, you know, any blood in your feces? And he goes, oh yeah, that's been going on for two months now. And she's like, what did everybody else tell you? Yeah. Oh, it was a reaction to all the Advil I was taking. <laughs> is the blood bright red or is it, you know, digested? And he's bright red. Awesome. <laughs> okay. You're getting some imaging of your colon, you know, and yeah. sure enough, they went to do into colonoscopy and they could only do about four inches and Got stopped by a large mass. So, wow. yeah, the point is the version I saw of him two years ago is very different to the version I saw two months ago, you know, and I need to admit that to myself and have a system to just say it's worth asking some questions. I mean, red flag screening takes what, two minutes maybe? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so so handle those gaps. That That's one thing. Work up people when they come back after six months or a new area. Don't be lazy about your EHR. What's one more administrative tip you have? I forgot what my third one was. Yeah. <laughs> do you I remember you what told I told me you? It had to do with patient interaction and just being nice. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Exactly. Um, you know, that's a, that's good for, you know, practice building, but also yeah. practice preservation. Um, like I told you before, many of the medical legal cases that I've dealt with that I've had to defend almost every one of them, uh, within the, the patient's deposition, or at least their complaint, it was that the doctor didn't listen to them. He wasn't friendly to them. They didn't like him. He didn't seem caring. He didn't seem, you know, understanding. Never, uh, never looked at me or shook my hand. Like, yeah, simple things. And and when I complained, he 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 brushed it off. You know, didn't pay attention. You know, those are the things that make people mad. <laughs> you know, that's sort of, that's why you yeah. get sued more because they're mad, not because they've got a, you know right. damages or whatever. Whereas if you know. If you're nice and you're caring and you show empathy and you completely blow the diagnosis, like I did, 
those people typically don't sue you. I'm not saying 100% of the time, but very often don't because they're like, hey, you're trying your best. It's understandable. Yeah. 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 When you dismiss them, they don't like to be dismissed. People want to be heard, you know? Yeah. And that happens a lot in hospitals. I mean, the number of hospital uh, lawsuits for a doctor that didn't seem nice or nursing staff that didn't seem nice that are launched by the, the, the kids of the patient would blow your mind. I mean, you know, cause like, Oh, they weren't nice to my mom or my grandmother. Therefore they're going to pay cause she's gone now. And it's like, you don't want right. to, that, that's tough to defend against. I mean, I've got an example yesterday. I had a new patient, um, pretty complex case, but um, I said, have you ever been to the chiropractor before? And he said, I went one time. And he said, it was a guy across town. And he said, I told him everything I just told you. And he ignored every bit of it and just treated me the way he wanted to be. You know, he wanted to treat me. And he said, I never went back because I could tell he, nothing I said mattered. He was just going to treat me his way. Wow. You know, that's not the first time I've heard those kind of things too. Yeah. That sucks. How hard is that to do though? You know, it's so crazy. You know, what's interesting too. I've been on this kick of like talking about um, in the Facebook group and some other things about patient experience. Like just what is the experience of walking up to your place? And I'm talking little things like I was at an office the other day and you walk into the front door and they're like leaves that have blown in from the, <laughs> you know, from the street, which, hey, it gets windy. Like, that's understandable. It's not your fault those leaves blew in. But you could see, you know, when you start walking on leaves, how they kind of break down into pieces. You could see some of the pieces were so small that that had not been swept for at least a full day. And that, like, just nobody was thinking it was their job. And I'm thinking, what's the experience here when people walk in and see those leaves or for the second time, see those leaves? And how long are we, how are we talking about, you know, what's it like, the solution is a 10 to 30 second solution here. Like to sweep those things out is not going to take you that long. And it, it's funny if you think about any, I'll just challenge you with this, see if you can come up with one, except for Walmart, I can't think of any other class leader that owns their market that doesn't focus on the experience of the customer. Like you look at Disney is by far and away the number one amusement park operator, right? Totally focused on customer experience. Starbucks, far and away the number one, whatever you want to say, coffee house in the nation, in the world, always focus on the the experience. And by the way, for those listening, thinking it's expensive, Starbucks, all they do is like, they just ask your name and call your name when your drink's ready, right? Yeah. They might, your double espresso is ready. And it's like, Ooh, they remember my name. It's like, no, they entered it in a computer and printed a label with it. <laughs> but just that is a big deal. Yeah, I, you know, practice mechanics is not a practice management group by any means, but we do some mentoring work too. Mm-hmm. When people log in and they, if they want, uh, you know, a mentoring contract to, you know, to cover whatever about their practice, yeah. we do that because both of us have had this much experience and we can usually kind of guide people. Um, but one of the first things I tell people to do if they feel like they're stagnant in their practice or whatever is either, Go and enter your office through the front door and sit in the lobby, you know, when there's nobody there and just have an honest look around of how you would be impressed if it was somewhere you were going to visit or have somebody you trust very much. They'll be brutally honest with you, come in and give you the list of the things that they see that that need some help. And those kind of things can change the practice overnight, literally change the attitude. I mean, a fresh coat of paint, you know, a cleaning window, (laughs) you know, like you said, a dirty rug, change it out. Yeah. Little things, it makes such a big difference. I, I remember this one lady I knew, she was big about that in her business. She was wildly successful, like hundreds of millions, hundreds of, millions of dollars uh, her company had had grown to. And uh, 
she said, like she, she hired a designer to come in and you know, just be honest with me about our executive office. And she said, what's with the wallpaper? And this woman, Mary was like, we don't have wallpaper. Yeah. She's like behind the front desk. It's like ugly wallpaper. And she's like, Oh yeah, we put that in 12 years ago. And I totally forgot we have wallpaper and I forgot that it's ugly because I've just seen it every time I walk in, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like that ugly wallpaper. What are your patients thinking? Yeah. It's just exactly. crazy. And it's little things, you know, they do notice though, but they're, they're there, especially in our practices are there repeatedly. So yeah. they get to see if it's still there the next time, you know, a lot right. of times yeah. have they changed that or they, do they care? You right. Know? I mean, yeah, I, what I are, know we had, we did face left to our office about three years ago and, and our practice boomed because of it, just because it was fresh. It was fresh yeah. and new and nice and modern, you know? There's a podcast I listened to and the guy said, you know, you should always have two big parties every year because if nothing else, it just forces you to clean up the messes and get rid of the crap that, you know, you would otherwise just leave on the, on the counter or in the corner or whatever, you know, guests are coming over. You're like, well, we're going to straighten up this picture and touch up the corners and all this stuff. And it's like, that's yeah, exactly. pretty true. Ours is if another doctor's come into the office, we make sure everything's okay. Or if one of our family members is coming in, it's like, oh, you got to make sure it's going to be okay because they'll tell us if it's not, you know? Yeah. We hired a, um, uh, this amazing front desk woman and uh, she just had a motor to her and, and would, she never, she just didn't have enough work to do. I'll, I'll say it that way. She always could find stuff. And she was cleaning out our, our little event bag, this bag we use to go to different events and stuff, you know? And she's like, what's this clipboard? And she pulls it out. It's all tattered and it's just sitting in a bag in our closet for, I don't know, a year and a half. Oh yeah, that's all the email addresses that we said we'd enter into our system. And that's why we went to those events was to get email addresses, you know? Yeah. And she's like, oh, okay. It was funny. Up to that point, we never entered them into our system. And therefore the whole reason we went out to that 5K or triathlon or whatever was completely moot. We shouldn't have even mm-hmm. got out. It was just burning up a Saturday morning, you know? And uh, yeah, she she just was a cleaner, but she revealed 10 or 12 different issues we needed to face. And yeah. a lot of it was just cleaning stuff up and throwing stuff out. You know, stuff that no longer works, like all your spinal screening stations, Mike, you got to just at some point just get rid of them. (laughs) My subluxation station and my my posture check station. Yeah. They need to be dusted off every once in a while. Well, you get new ones from the company or whatever, you know. True. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I had similar experiences with employees before. I had one that was here last year and she was a, I mean, almost OCD quality, you know, clean freak, but the one before her was not. And so she spent the first week just organizing and setting everything in the place where we could all find it and see it and everything. It was great. I didn't even know it was a mess until it wasn't a mess, you know? Right. And she also noticed a really cool thing and I'll, I'll move on to something else, but. No, let's um, talk about this because this is when, when, you know, we're talking about like, be nice to patients, but showing them you care, the words can leave your your mouth, your mouth, you can shake their hand and everything, but showing them you care with your facility, not having cracked, uh, you know, vinyl on your exam tables, like those things show you care a lot too. Yeah. One thing she noticed, and, she, and we've been doing it the one way for years, mm-hmm. she said, and the, our office is not huge, but it's an L-shaped front desk with glass on two sides. And um, when somebody would come in and sign in, it was their turn. They would just say, come, they would just kind of motion, come on around to the door, come on around to the door. And she said, I'm not going to do that. And she'd get up and go to the door and bring them. And it made all the difference in the world. People yeah. were like, oh, that is so nice. You know, it's you're not crazy, just telling yeah. me to move around the office that you actually came and took my hand and walked me there, yeah. you know? Yeah, you know, Nordstrom's like the, the department store. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been in one, but the 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 checkout counters are kind of in the middle of the clothes area. They're not like, mm-hmm. and uh, they're fairly high. They're stand-up desks with a high, fairly high counter. 
And they're taught once you throw everything in the bag and you put your receipt in there, they are to walk your bag around to you, which is literally a four foot walk. Right? <laughs> We're not talking right. about far, but they hand it to you. And, you know, that's one thing. Again, that company is known for amazing customer service. And really, how long does that take? And how much better is that than lifting that big bag over the counter into your face? You know, it's just like, yeah. it's such a better experience. And how many times do we not do that for our patients? So I love the fact that you guys address that. Yeah, that's cool stuff. Yeah. Any other common things when you're mentoring folks? So, so I think you said, number one, just walk in the front door, act like a patient would act. That's another thing, by the way. I, I just got to, this is a pet peeve of mine. I hate when people have a very confusing office to get to, mm-hmm. but they figured it out because they've got there a thousand times. But then they just throw out the address. He's, oh yeah, Mike, it's just 3846 uh, Westville Road. And you're like, yeah. okay, you're behind another building. <laughs> it's hard mm-hmm. to find. Like, how would you tell your grandmother to get there, you know, over the phone? You'd probably say, exactly. now look for the McDonald's, just past that, there's a driveway, make a right. Like just figuring that out and making sure your employees have an understanding of how to tell people to get there. You know, exactly. like it's yeah. not that hard. Nope. Yeah. So what are some other things you notice in your mentoring? Um, phone skills are another one. I mean, for front office, at least. Um, just like you would have somebody come in your front door and sit in your lobby, have somebody call and see how they're treated. You know, that first impression is the one they get a lot of times. And so we make sure people train and they're people. And if they're the ones answering it, they're answering it, not in a way that you're going to drive away people. You know, that's, it's critical. Yeah. It's huge. And the phone can make so much money for, for an office. Uh, You know, if I were opening an office and trying to fill it, I would treat the phone as the, as a gold bar of million dollars sitting there on the desk because it'll do that for you. Or like you said, it'll turn it away. You know, I've, right. I've, uh, had a lot of people that, oh yeah, I was going to come, but I called and they were, uh, I remember having that. We had a front desk employee that was not the right fit. And, uh, I didn't realize that until a couple people gave us low feedback on our, you know, get, scale us on a one to five, like, and we started getting threes and twos. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that has never happened. And right. then I had a couple people said, yeah, I was going to come in. I called, but the lady was kind of rude. And so, you know, I decided to put it off and I'm like, was it rude at our place? Mm-hmm. And this woman was super sweet when she was back with the doctors, but just a raging bee when she was up front alone. And, wow. uh, but I would never know that cause she was always nice to me. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out I pay her though. So she had reason to be nice to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. That's, that's pretty common. So yeah, I think, uh, I think on both of those, one thing I'm hearing a commonality is have somebody that will give you honest feedback. Won't hold back. Go through your patient experience. What's it like when you first walk in? What do you notice? Is there, you know, a tattered rug or something fixed with duct tape or something like that? Second thing, have them call up and try and schedule as a new patient. And and how does that go? You know, is it warm and welcoming? Are the people good? And uh, it just, yeah, it can make or break a business so much. And, And in our game, like those first two years of practice, if you're just I don't know. I don't know if you remember those days from your your uh, experience, but if you followed up with everybody that you ever met or ever said they wanted to come in, and if you just doubled down on the patient experience those first time, I think you'd fill up twice as fast. Mm-hmm. I really do. It's absolutely true. Yeah, but unfortunately, we're struggling with thinking what what's the next seminar I need to go to, and it's <laughs> like I don't know, but I know it has to do with customer service. 
<laughs> well, and another thing too on this subject is is giving hope. You know, I've run into that just in the last, you know, six, eight, 12 months here at the office. Several people have said, I've been a bunch of different places. I didn't really know what was wrong. Whoever I was treated by didn't really feel like they had a grip either. And you might not know, but you gave me hope that I was going to be okay. I mean, just that simple. Yeah. Telling somebody, yeah, I think you're going to be all right. This is fixable. You know, wow. so nobody's told them they were fixable up until that point. They were broken. You know? Yeah. So that's another. Yeah, that's side. huge. Yeah, because that'll that'll build trust in a person like crazy, and I'm sure you'll get tons of referrals from those folks if you're the only one uh, just kind of clear, being clear about things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mike, if uh, somebody's listening and they really enjoyed the things you're talking about and they want to know more about Practice Mechanics, where can they find you guys? We've got a website, uh, practice-mechanics.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter account. We don't use a lot, but we will. Um, but Twitter's Instagram only account. used when you're angry, so you don't need to use yeah. it. <laughs> Um, Instagram and we actually signed up for TikTok and haven't used it yet, but we have that too. <laughs> okay. We think we might at some point. So practice-mechanics.com and is a pre- the Facebook group, is it private or is it an open Facebook group? No, we have a Facebook page. Uh, once okay. you become a member, we have a private group for that. Okay. And then we interact with those guys on the side. Fantastic. All right, Mike. Well, this has been a absolute pleasure, Mike. I, I love talking to you and uh, yeah, for those folks listening, like cleaning up that admin side, it'd probably take three months of some dedicated work, but Sure. Your office will run so much smoother and you'll be able to sleep at night knowing that there's not exactly. going to be a insurance audit on the other side. Exactly. I mean, that, and that's what I hear again is, is we don't know. We go to bed at night wondering if our claims are going to be paid tomorrow or if we're going to be audited yeah. and they're going to take our money back or whatever. doesn't have right. to be like that. doesn't have to be like right. that at all. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time today, Mike. And on behalf of Dr. Mike Massey out there in beautiful Tennessee, This is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license, and live the life you dream of. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I want to let you know that this episode was brought to you by ClinicGymConnect.com. ClinicGymConnect.com. Now, if you want to grow your practice, add a gym, provide great customer service, whatever you want to do in your clinic or in your gym, Clinic Gym Connect can help you do it faster, easier, more efficiently, and make your patients and clients fall in love with you. So just check it out at clinicgymconnect.com.